Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sando, joined, as always, by the TJ Yeldon, to my Leonard Fournette. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? You catching some passes? Why did I get the insulting uh, one on this? Oh, no. TJ Yeldon's been great lately, man. He's catching passes, moving the football. I our, believe I'm part of the Jacksonville offense. That yeah. can't be great in any way. Yeah, 18 our, points a game. But our, ver- our very own Jamal Charles, that's right, the recently signed, uh, back from the dead, Jamal Charles, Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Man, I'm back. I uh, went to Carolina for the week just to find out why Christian McCaffrey wasn't playing on my fantasy team found out it was a bye week saved myself a trip so you were bi curious about it? i was bi curious i'll tell you this right now though uh i wasn't here last week i did listen you went new day that was very painful and then i had to listen to uh, my replacement talk about how he much how much he loved earl thomas more than me yet then talk non-stop about nate burleson <laughs> we are we will only be talking about current seahawks today gentlemen <laughs> Uh, I do like good. So morning. let me talk about Steve Hutchison. I do okay. like Good Morning Football, though that show's good. Just, just saying, it's pleasant. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and head right into it. The Seahawks played the Rams this week. The score of the game was thirty-three to thirty-one. But what an adventure it was! The Seahawks there was a <laughs> four lead changes or five lead changes. Uh, the Seahawks held the lead four times, and the Rams took it once. Uh, they tied us the rest of the times. Uh, what it was a, a a roller coaster ride, Eric. Well, how did you feel as you were watching this game? <clears throat> okay, so I felt after the game, I kind of felt like, all right, we made some big steps, and this could be a turning point game. But as I told you before, watching the game, I was like, okay, everything's getting better. Our offensive line is playing better. However, if you look at our running stats, not very good. The play calling was getting better. But is it? It still looks pretty bad. Eight eight passes attempt of more than 10 yards. That's a huge step in the right direction. It's a huge step in the Uh, right direction. 6.1 yards per carry for Carson. 5.7 yards per carry for Davis. Chris Carson looked great. That's pretty good. The offensive line, I feel like, didn't do him any favors. I'll say this, though. The defense, the whole game, I was looking at it like, man, you know what? Our defense is pretty good, and it's not a problem. And afterwards, you know, losing 34-31 or whatever... Uh, it's like when you're standing outside and you're like, man, I'm not getting wet. It's only sprinkling. And then you go inside and you're totally soaked. <laughs> it's, it was the same thing. Like, no. You want to hear a cool stat that, that I think, like, uh, when they blitzed, we picked up the blitz really well. Russell Wilson was five for seven when blitzed with three touchdowns. And a uh, he his NFL rating was 151.2. Uh, Honestly, so I, that's something you want to see from this team because you want to see things to discourage the aggressive pass rush. Yeah, we did. The thing that was cool about this game was they, the offense kind of did all the things we asked them to do, right? They did. They threw deep. They threw on play action. There was one glaring omission, though, Nathan. What was the glaring omission? Uh, run blocking? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that would be a, how many carries Russell did Wilson Russell have? Wilson have? Oh, zero. He never kept on a zone <sighs> read. And the, the worst part was, like, so I think we ran six or seven zone read plays. And of those seven, he kept zero. And I would say he had open path on five of the seven. There was yep. two times he was respected by the defensive end or a, a nickel cornerback. And the other times he was completely disrespected. They knew he wasn't going to keep. Um, let me talk a little bit about the running backs. Uh, so Chris Carson had uh, 87 of his 116 yards were after contact. Mike Davis, 58 of his 68. So between the two of them, we're averaging like 4.6 yards per uh, yards after contact per attempt. Uh, at some point, we can't rely on these guys to just carry the offensive line. They got to get out there and run block, right? Like, what? What? Why is it that this team is? It can't do both. Why can't we? We can either run block or we can pass block. But it seems like we can't do both at the same time. Yeah, I think there's also something about the run blocking scheme. If you look at uh, Football Outsiders numbers, our offensive line is 21st in run blocking as far as uh, adjusted line yards, which is the number of yards the offensive line is responsible for the running back getting on a given play. 21st is also known as much better than we've been in the last few years. But we're number one in power running, and we're 13th in stuff rate. Uh, so that you, means... I know, what, I know what you're talking about, but define uh, stuff rate and power running. Define power running especially. So power running would basically be uh, running between the guards for the most part. Yes. And stuff rate is... Uh, being hit at or behind the line of scrimmage, which is where we have been towards the bottom of the league in the last several seasons, which has been frustrating. So the fact that our power run rate and stuff rate are higher suggests that there's been a shift in the way that we're blocking. And then it becomes a question of, are we using this enough? I also think there might be something around 
I don't know with Pro Football Focus how much their stats on contact are, you know, if someone's getting a hand, getting an arm, or is it like what kind of contact are we looking at? And so if it gets touched by a defender, it doesn't really matter how they get touched. Um, but I, I feel but like I think the blocking get, may be getting a little bit less clean contact than has been the case in the past. That I don't want the guy to get. Uh, we, there's no easy runs in this offense. Is what is my main point here? Like, th- there's no play where a guy just like gets to run through a big hole and get 20 yards without ever being touched. Like, well, you you watch. I watch a lot of NFL football. Okay, and you see plays like that all the time. Uh, not not for the Seattle Seahawks though. Yeah, busting yeah. off one long play is common. All we of our runs of 11 are, and a long of nine. Our runs are are met with with if, harsh with harsh hitting as soon as he gets the if ball. If we do have a long run, I mean, the guy broke a couple tackles. You know, like and it, I mean, that's good. It's good that our guys have those skills. Like I'd rather have guys that can break tackles than guys that cannot. But it's it's also you know it's it seems unreliable. And I don't know, like, is Chris Carson really this good where he can keep creating at this rate? Um, Hard to hard to say. I'd know. like to see him do something with better blocking. That's for sure, especially after this week's game. I'm sorry, I said a long of eleven and nine. They actually had Carson had a twenty one yard rush, yeah, and then thir- and thirty seven for Davis, thirty seven, yeah. And those were both after contact. I don't know. I, I'm not as down on the run blocking. I think that there's definitely uh, it's not ideal and there's issues, but I feel like it's been improving over the course of the season. Like it's gone from pretty bad to pretty okay and there's reason to believe that the results we're getting are probably sustainable i mean the thing is mike davis and chris carson like they are top both they're third and sixth in the league in yards after contact per attempt so it's like any way you slice it i mean just comparing to other teams our guys have to work harder for yards than and than most other that's just how it feels i mean when you're what was it two games ago we talked about how Chris Carson had 96 yards, but he had 100 after contact. That's an insane stat. That's ridiculous. And the, and the thing is, though, the guys, I don't want to bang on the offensive line too much because they held up in the pass game. Like, yep. They only allowed two sacks and five total pressures to a uh, defensive line that over the past few years has really destroyed the Seahawks. Also, uh, Russ did a good job of not running into a sack this game. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I know it sounds no, dumb. No, 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 no. It's I get 100 percent what you're saying. I was I was and leaning I mean, back from be, the mic. I couldn't help it. Let's yeah, be honest. The, though. the one sack was uh, both, Sue dominated Jr. Sweezy, yeah. and Dominican Sue's just sometimes going to dominate a guy. Both sacks were like, and the other one was uh, Aaron Donald's really good at football. Yes, and the coverage was decent on that play. So like, there's a little bit of time, and you can only hold Aaron Donald at bay for so long. And I mean, okay, so we think the offense was above average in this game. I think we uh, all would agree on that. Before right? we say that, uh, I don't want to give them a pass fully because our last two drives, our last three drives were garbage and really kept us from winning the game. I and mean, we, we lost this game by two points and we could not get in field goal position. Yeah, let's talk about, uh, I want to go over the drives real quick. So here's our drive chart on the game. So three plays, four yards, punt. Nine plays, 74 yards, touchdown. Five plays, 20 yards, punt. Four plays, 50 yards, touchdown. Eight plays, 27 yards, field goal. That was the one before the end of the half. Nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 15 yards, punt. Five plays, 33 yards, punt. We had, we, we didn't three and out as often, which is a celebration. And there were a couple of long sustained drives, but there were a few times, like on that last drive, we had that long pass to Lockett, and you were like, yeah, buddy, we're going to be there. Yeah. There's no way they don't get in field, and then they just stalled. Stalled. Like, this is still not a reliable offense. And do you think it's stalling at the play calling level or the play execution level? I don't know. I felt like it was execution this game. I didn't really notice a glaring issue with the play calling. There were a couple of frustrating times, like... Um, I want to say it was either that first drive or the third drive where they threw behind the sticks on third down, which is incredibly frustrating. There was another one where uh, the negative two-yard swing pass on the screen to Davis. I knew you were going there. That one was really frustrating. Shades of the past. Yeah, I'm still not a big fan of this throwing behind the sticks and expecting someone to make a play game, but... It's what we did last year. We'd give it to Doug, like three yards down the field and ask him to get seven yards. I just, uh, Doug just doesn't seem correct. Like he seems there's something wrong. There's, 
Doug yeah, he's clearly playing at like 75%. Less, I think. I mean, he had one catch in this game for one Well, yard. 75%. Two arms and one leg. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Can we talk about the defense now and how disappointed I am? Let's in- do that. Okay. So up until this game, we'd averaged 100, 114 yards uh, after catch per game. So in this game, we gave up 184 yards after the catch in this game. And it was they really picked on a couple a uh, couple guys. I mean, they ran long drag routes over the middle of the field, and they burned Justin. They burned Shaquille. They burned Bobby. Like these, those three guys together gave up the bulk of the passing yards. And I just think it's it's tough. It's tough to watch because um, that I really think Justin Coleman is great. Okay, but he missed a tackle in the run game uh, when he missed that on that sweep. He just got eaten. He that missed stupid a- fly sweep. He missed uh he missed a tackle pretty bad on a on a thing and those things add up man those those little mistakes we gave up a ton of first downs on third and long to to guys just running across the field catching it and then running 15 20 yards right the defense just could not get off the field and it was really frustrating for me to watch um, because I thought they played the team as a whole played decent enough to win but if you can't you know if you can't get off the field in third down it, it's going to start to to grade on you it's gonna start to wear on you well and like clark was really active but you brought this up before the show um our primary players played a ton of snaps yeah frank clark played 54 of the 66 available snaps which is way more than he usually plays he only had two hurries um he was he was fine he wasn't like he was bad uh but i mean for how much he was on the field like i would have liked to see him do a, did you see a the insane more. stat that he'd lost 12 pounds over the course of the week because of the illness yeah that, yeah that's he right was, that's... he was also not 100 percent, so i'm not surprised no i just think that it's unfortunate that he wasn't getting rotated out more though but it can be hard because you get trapped on the field with a hurry up offense and i feel like they kind of took advantage of our defense in that way we rely on being able to rotate out players and that just wasn't happening yeah um the okay i'm trying to think of like what what else uh i was i had some other stats written down but now my brain my brain no worky good today okay uh, mingo mingo was on the field for 64 snaps and i thought so before the game said darted we said when they need to put more speed on the field instead what they decided to do was give us a steady dose of archivius mingo and i thought he he held up pretty decently he had four run stops he had seven tackles he was targeted three times in the past game and gave up three catches but only five yards after catch so he wasn't in the let's get burned on after the catch train uh and i thought mingo really did a good job and has kind of shown his his medal as a as a top tier signing yeah, he might have been. He was a really efficient signing. We didn't pay him a whole lot, and he's providing some important snaps for this team. Then um, the uh, another guy who played pretty good is Trey Flowers. Uh, Trey Flowers was targeted twice, didn't give up a reception. He had five tackles. He's continued to be really good in the uh, helping in the run game. Uh, I thought in, in, he he's was a very, very sure tackler. He didn't. He didn't mess up too much in the uh, in the past game, and I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think like. Trey Flowers is is probably future is a, a really good number two wide receiver. Corner, yeah, I agree. I was gonna Our say cornerback. Uh, man, <laughs> see, I told you my brain no work you get yeah, today. It's slowly starting uh, to deteriorate. Okay, Ted Tedrick Thompson. I thought Tedrick Thompson did great in this game. Sixty five snaps, six tackles. He missed a couple tackles, but he wasn't he. He was not picked on in the past game at all. He was not a weakness there. He missed an interception that would have been lovely, but it's yeah. not something you it was can a weird, expect a rookie to when, get. When, they, when, you, when The receiver got a hand, hand on, on it. it. Yeah, and it, it just it, looked like he couldn't quite get his body underneath it. And I was I was thinking, like, as much as I love Earl, Earl misses interceptions all the time. Uh, this year he wasn't. Uh, but past seasons he would he would miss those, those balls in and out of his hands. I feel like Tedrick Thompson wanted this job at the beginning of the season. It was taken back from him by Earl, and I feel like he wants to show that he can do this job. Yeah, he stepped in. He was ready. Frank Clark got his first career interception. Yeah, you saw the pride in both of them, too, which is – with Tedrick Thompson, that's why I meant like he he wanted it because you could see the pride oozing off him. Frank Clark played out of his mind for what he was going through. Yeah, I – I think that like if Clark's fully healthy and Earl Thomas's leg doesn't snap off, we might win. Ugh. We might win this game. Like this is a very I winnable game. I think we game. definitely win. And this there was game. a little. There's just these tiny margins. And like I said, Tedrick played good, but you know Earl's obviously going to be better. He's Earl, out, he's Earl Thomas. Like I'll say it legitimately, the Rams are one of the 
two best offenses in the league and probably one of the four best overall teams. And we hung with them it's, for four quarters. In my opinion, it's the most talented team in the league, top to bottom. And they're most talented. They, I agree. They weren't the they weren't the healthiest in this going into this game. Like they, and then two of their better wide receivers got concussions like pretty early in the game. Because Tedrick Thompson murdered Brandon Cooks when his when his quarterback legal, left him over the middle. Legal hit. It was a it perfectly was legal hit. The best but legal hit. My goodness, Tedrick just brought the you, cam on you that love, one. The, you always, you always got to love when the when the guy makes a legal hit and the referees all gather up and they're like, uh, well, a guy just got murdered on the field, but uh, it was legal, you know. It's when they <laughs> when they huddle, they're trying to they're trying to make the game <laughs> like, faster. Did you see anything? They're trying to no. get the call right, but yeah, you can totally see that on. Um, Brad Brad had another really good game. Nine tackles, three run stops. Uh, he was targeted twice, but also did not fall trapped to the yards after catch monster. He had only an eleven, lot of only eleven yards after the catch. I'm pretty happy with Brad's performance overall, even if it wasn't like his a perfect coverage day for him. This team throws a lot. You're going to give up some uh, some yards in the Shaquille past. Shaquille Griffin game. needed to change his cleats out. He slipped like three times, and two of them led to pretty decent receptions. Yeah. Well, uh, I think at least two first downs. Seven seven targets, uh, six six receptions, 107 yards given up by uh, by Shaquille Griffin. Long of 31, no pass breakups. It was a tough day for Shaquille, and it's the kind of day that. Um, exposes that he's not a finished product yet. It's not that he's not good. He's fantastic, but he he's not done becoming a an NFL player. I think he's a tier 2 corner right now. He's just not in that tier 1 yet, but he has so much physical ability yep. that you can see it there. Right now he's a lot like Marcus Peters where he can get burned for a big play. It's not because he's peaking in the backfield the same way. I feel like he's the reverse Marcus Peters, Kevin, because when you throw on Shaquille Griffin deep, he makes a play. And if you throw on him short, he gets gives up a catch and run. Like yep. there's a yes. there's kind of a, a formula to beat Shaquille Griffin and I think McVeigh saw it on the tape. And is you throw it somewhere between eight and twelve yards yep. after his hands are off, but before you're downfield, and then you and then you your guy's running across the field, so you can beat it. You can get a little speed advantage, you know, if, especially if it's Brandon Cooks or someone like that. That's actually really fast. Yeah, because that's the thing. Griffin has uh, top has top flight speed, but like Cooks has elite speed. You're talking like a you know, it's that rare instance where you're like, oh, you're a four four guy. Sorry, I'm a four three two guy. Yeah, so and they both carry all of that speed. Onto so the Woods hit him, hit him three times, and got sixty-four yards. And I think that was the main culprit. Robert Woods is really good too. Yeah, and one of those was like twenty yards on one where he slipped. Yeah, thirty-one. Yeah, thirty-one, and it was the big yards after catch play. Yeah, uh, another thing, Shaq, is that I mean, of the six receptions he gave up, five of them went for first downs, and it's kind of the, and the that's what hurts. The kind of the bigger problem I'm talking about, Justin Coleman, six of his passes receptions, five went for first downs. Uh, Bobby Wagner, five of his receptions, three of first downs. We could not get off the field on third down, and it's because they get these guys kept giving up first down throws. And I don't know. It's just, Do you think the motions played into that? They were doing a lot of things with motions in the backfield. I think that's the yeah, it's the way they they run their offense where they they try to figure out what you're doing, and then they they try to modify a little bit what they're doing to take advantage. It's a, it's a modern NFL concept. Right? Yeah, I it's think that's where our communications complex. breaking down with all the changes over the year. Whereas before, I think everyone knows what everyone else is doing. Without KJ on there, out there, with Bobby being the primary voice, and then with probably Brad being the vocal person in the back end, it changes the way things are messaged. All right. So here's here's a good, I think it's a good spot for a Twitter question because we kind of broke down the offense a little bit. We talked about the defense a little bit. We talked about where these, we feel this team is at. Um, Edgar's double. Uh, one of your one of your uh, your favorite guys, Kevin. Yeah, dude, one of one of our big time uh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter guys. Uh, active I, folks. I think I like, thing I like about Edgar's double is that he's um he's like the well, I feel like he's got like a Seattle sports fan attitude. Like he he definitely uh, errs on the side of like uh, everything kind of sucks, <laughs> which is which is like a <laughs> justifiable justifiable. We, we we we've been through a lot as Seattle sports fans. So his question is: Are we better just being bad or restocking and hoping for? Like to go like medium seven and nine eight and eight like a which is which is better and I responded on Twitter right away I said the true talent of this team is probably eight and eight I think you should consider shutting down Doug and other guys playing through injuries though to take no risks um, do you guys think at, at this point should the Seahawks be taking incredible risks because the I will say the sixth spot in the playoffs is kind of wide open right now um, you could take you could probably take it with nine and seven uh, do the Seahawks sell out to try to get to that nine and seven or do they Pack it in a little bit and maybe play conservatively. Just go seven and nine, six and ten, get a better draft pick. 
what what would you do if you are Seahawks GM John Schneider? Well, it's against uh, Pete Carroll's mantra to just you know play it safe. He's gonna he's gonna compete. He's gonna want to try and get into that sixth seed. He believes that if they get into the playoffs, that they can run it and win it. Um, I would say I'd say rest Doug because you know a healthy Doug Baldwin's gonna make you better. But at this point, I mean, you have some guys under contract that are not going to be here in a year or two. And, you know, Bobby, I don't know, are we going to resign him? KJ Wright, are we going to resign him? Uh, Bradley McDougald is great. He's going to be playing for a bigger deal. These are talents that you can't just say, oh, we're definitely going to restock this. And I think you kind of have to play for that sixth playoff spot. I mean, that would that would kind of shock the world. And, yeah, it sounds dumb, but at some point... You know, wild card teams do make the Super Bowl. It can happen. All right, Kevin. Uh, I'm in a pretty similar position here to Eric. I think when you have a player like Bobby, who's or not Bobby, uh, Doug, who's clearly hurt, shutting him down makes a lot of sense, both for uh, longevity of his career, but also for the good of the team. He is under contract, and so he's a guy that you want to have at 100%. And what he's doing out there right now. I don't think it's really adding a lot to what the team's doing. And I think I, I gotta I gotta combine J, a little bit of JRB's question in here, which is like, why did Doug play fifty three snaps and Jaron Brown only played nine? Like he asked JRB asked did Jer, what what happened to Jaron Brown was even on the field. He only ran uh, three routes the whole game. I heard that Jaron Brown uh, slept with a family member of John Schneider. <laughs> no, in I mean, all seriousness though, uh, Brandon Marshall only got seven snaps, which I am a okay with. Brandon Marshall got seven snaps. Jaron Brown, Jaron Brown needs to be on the field more. Um, I think that Doug needs to be shut down and put Jaron out there. Let Doug heal up a little bit. And if he comes back for a November run, that's great. If he doesn't, then we're going to have him for next year. I don't think shutting down Doug Baldwin necessarily puts the sixth playoff spot out of reach. Here's one weird thing about Doug Baldwin, the injury too, is from the way they talk about it, I'm pretty sure it's a situation where he needs needs, surgery. He needs a, a, a minor surgery. Yep that like a scope or something like that that will put him out for six weeks no matter what and i wish he would have just got it before the season started yep. i don't really understand why teams play this game where like oh he might be able to come back two weeks sooner and he i think won't it's be 100%. pretty clear that this group this this front office did not uh expect the wide receiver room to step up the way it has yeah, they felt like they needed Doug to be back ASAP. Exactly. And honestly, I think Doug as a sideline leader is offering what we need from him right now. I mean, Tyler Lockett is fifth in wide receiver DVOA. That puts him firmly between Brandon Cooks and Jordy Nelson. That's really good company to be keeping. He has been excellent. His routes have looked beautiful and crisp. He looks as fast as he's ever looked. The dude is outrunning Russell Wilson's throws. He's had to slow down to be in the spot to make the catch on the last few deep balls. That is telling you something about the type of movement that Lockett's getting. He's he's getting out there. He's getting going. And so... I think Lockett, as a number one receiver, offers us something that's really good. I think Brown has been good in limited work. I think that David Moore has shown himself David to Moore be wants a weapon. To play. He wants to play, and he's ready to play. And Russ seems to trust him enough to throw a deep ball to him, even if it's contested. So if Marshall is our fourth wide receiver getting not a lot of snaps... I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, Lockett, just another Lockett stat for you. He's averaging 2.24 yards per route run so far this year, which puts him uh, tied with Keenan Allen and just behind Odell Beckham and Golden Tate. Like this is He's in good company. The guy, yeah. He's at the top of the league in a stat that I think really matters for, for wide receiver efficiency. And the the thing is, is that, yeah, you're right. Like We don't need Doug to kill himself to try to win one, maybe one extra game. And he, when he's out there, honestly, I don't think he's doing anything that Jaron Brown couldn't do just as good. Um, and they, Without the risk of his leg falling off. Right, exactly. Without risk of making his injury significantly like, I, worse. I like Doug a lot. Doug's one of my favorite players. I want to see him for think, many more years. I think Doug yeah. might be my, my favorite Seahawk right now. I'm, if I had to just pick, like... Who's my favorite Seahawk? I think I'd pick Doug that because there's is no one else left. It's Doug or it's Brad. Brad. <laughs> Brad's like my new. Brad's my I new. I uh, love Brad. Brad's my new. My new. Uh, my new love. My new guy. Uh, okay, there is um, Nathan's been we talked like about. Googled. Bingo. Uh, Fluker is playing good uh, for the contract. Uh, Vanette and Disley is a great tight end duo. Um, uh, yeah, I think the talent going forward is really strong. I mean, Disley will be back next year. Okay. It makes me sad when I hear Disley's name. Uh, that's guys, the thing. You guys ready for this one? All right. Why take the time out? 
Here we go. You ready for this? Uh, yeah, I, I, I this it. is what I wanted. We're queuing you up. This is you. Uh, this is my classic thing. You had you had won the fight, the mental battle. When they are out on the field with the punt team, you don't need to call that timeout anymore. You won. They they somehow have come to the wrong decision. The only thing you have to gain by calling the timeout is for them to rethink it and make the correct decision. So hold on here. <laughs> Let me go ahead and give you the line. But Nathan, the clock is winding down, and we need a to minute? conserve clock so that we can make a drive. One minute and. 18 seconds is plenty of time to drive down a football field with Russell Wilson as your quarterback and one timeout to stop the clock after a play to the middle of the field. And we only need to get it back to like the 40 because we got uh, beer chugging Bootzilla over on the sidelines with his untucked shirt ready to kick a 55 yarder. So I'm not really worried about uh, time. I'm worried about them deciding, hey, wait, we can get six inches with our six foot four quarterback by having him just fall forward over our guard center line. Like it was. It was so frustrating. You uh, saw the line of logic that led Pete to make that decision, but it was the Andy Reedest line of logic ever. It, it was, felt panicky, though. That the, during the game, it felt like a panic move, and you knew it was yeah. over. Oh, see, to me, it felt just really short-sighted. Like, he was just thinking, I got to stop the clock. And he wasn't thinking about the rest of what's going on in the football yeah, team game. Yeah, it was kind of elder abuse, you know, because he's so old. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sean McVay just beating up on the old people. Um, By he, the way, what do you think Sean McVay's going to dress as for trick-or-treating this year? Uh, I think he's going to as one of the like, Frozen characters again. All right, let's talk about Rashad Penny. Uh, it seems like Penny still isn't being used. Who would you like to take same draft spot? The players available at this time. We're going to break this question down more. Uh, but let's just start with this. Rashad Penny, if you want field goals, wrote a really fantastic article about just the history of rookie running backs. I wouldn't worry about Rashad Penny not being that good in his rookie year. There are a lot of rookie running backs who start slow. Okay. And he might even be good by like week 10 and start performing because it's a, it's a combination of a lack of opportunity and getting up to NFL game speed. But who would I want to take in that draft spot? Kevin, you had a guy and I had a guy. Kevin, who would you pick? So uh, the question specifically had to do with if you're trying to help out the team this year. And if I could give the team anything this year, I think it's a pass rusher. So I would go with Harold Landry, who ended up going out of Boston College. He went way later than anyone thought to Tennessee. And he's been really, really effective as a rush end. He's played really good. I mean, they've limited his snaps. They haven't put, they've put him in a kind of a situation to succeed. And uh, he has excelled in what they've asked him to do. Um, and then my, my, uh, thing is I would take Christian Kirk. Uh, obviously I psychically know that Doug Baldwin's not going to be ready to play the season. <laughs> and so I'm taking Christian Kirk, who I think is, a uh, what's next at slot receiver in the NFL. He's been very good in this so far this season. And he's kind of like a slot back receiver. Yeah, and he's, he's been very good at kind of filling. He's, he seems like the perfect kind of modern NFL receiver. Run really and stupid jet sweeps. We, we knew that this guy existed because we scouted the hell out of him. I think that we were just hoping to get him towards the end of the second round or something. Yeah, and as a podcast, we talked about him heavily as one of the receivers that would make a lot of sense for this team and really fit into the scheme. So As I'm tired and I can't remember his name, I would have moved up and taken the safety that went to the Chargers. Oh, so you Der- mean, yeah, Derwin James. Derwin Thank James. you. I know I mean, Derwin James is an option, yeah. Derwin James Seriously, so it, that's... To, Derwin to James, miss him by one pick. Oh. Derwin, play, Derwin James plays safety. Derwin yeah. James, by statistics, would be the third best rookie defensive end. Yeah. I would just like to put that out there for yeah, fun. Derwin James they're is really good at football. With yeah. him on this team, it would have been very interesting. Yeah, um, we were we were uh, heavy on the Derwin James hype train, and we were a hundred percent correct. And we so. were super sad when he went like a couple because I think the it team actually would have done. It was pick. one pick. One pick. I think the team actually would have picked him. I think that's why we didn't trade back. Earlier. I was almost crying. I was like, "We're gonna get Derwin James," and oh then the Chargers gosh. ruin everything. Uh, in a close Talk game, like perfect third safety. In a close game like this, don't you think the difference for the Rams was winning on special teams and kick returns? The Rams seemed to start out in great field position a few times, too many oh, times. Let's talk about that. Okay. There was a block punt, a shank pun and blake countess had two long kickoff returns which resulted us running a rather inefficient drop kick from uh you know we have this weapon in michael dixon but sometimes the way he ends up being used is really harmful because we're basically just going yeah you're gonna start at the 30 every time now and what all this comes down to is I think we have a lack of depth at defensive back and linebacker that is leading to some really bad coverage units. And it's either talent or maybe it's time to fire our special teams coordinator. 
Yeah, I don't know what hmm. happened. Is after the first punt got blocked, they seemed to like tell Dixon like just kick it as fast as you can, and like he really awkwardly like low kicked his hang time. Uh, I looked it up. His hang time on his punts in this game was two point nine nine. That's is, not like, good. Very very That's low. That's like two seconds worse than normal. That's um, like the so, worst punting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I. It was rough. I was not happy. I agree. I think that it was, maybe it was a hidden yards game, and I I might. I need to watch the game one more time with that in mind to really dig into that question. But everyone who's listening, long-time listeners podcast know hidden yards is like one of my, uh, my secret. It's like a secret recipe. Like, you know, it's one thing I think people underrate when they really consider. Um, and JRB So you're had, saying we have to take a look at all three phases. Yeah, exactly. There's a, I think special teams is a lot more valuable than people give it credit for. And then uh, JRB had one more question. If you're the GM of next year's draft, regardless of trading back, what position do you draft first? I'm going to start with this. We're definitely trading back because, because there's no way we're not going to have we, – we have no second-round pick because Jeremy Lane failed, failed a physical. So, uh, so now, yeah, he, he lives on in infamy, in Seahawks' nest infamy. Uh, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to trade back. By not playing in the NFL. Least valuable uh, player, Jeremy. Here's the thing. If we pick in the top ten – uh, we're picking a defensive lineman. There's like eight good defensive linemen in this draft, yep. and there's uh, there's no way that one of them isn't falling. To I'm sorry, us you know what? If we're picking the top twenty. We're picking a D lineman. Yeah, there's because there's like also like five more really good defense. This defensive line draft, and is, you know, four thing, quarterbacks are going to go. There are four first round talent defensive linemen from Clemson. Yeah, it's they're all good. Then there's the rest of the NCAA. Like this is a stacked. But here's the thing. But like Kevin, this okay. could be like that year where wide receiver was so stacked we got Lockett in the third round. Yeah, but here's the thing, Kevin, is that like you got a guy like like Ed Oliver who is like pretty much the most he's the most absurd uh, DN prospect. Well, Miles Garrett is D probably tackle. Ed Oliver is a defensive tackle. Which yeah, is but what's gross? He's gonna play. I think he's gonna a three four end. Yeah, as I say, I think he's gonna end up playing three four. JJ Watt because he's that's he seems like the perfect position for him. Uh, but he's. He's like runs like a safety and hits like a Nottingham Kong like a Mack truck, <laughs> and so and he's like the most insane D line prospect since what Garrett Clowney, like one of those guys. Those yeah, guys, he's up there. Guys, this is a guy who has a true freshman was being talked about on a national level at the University of Houston. Like yeah. this is a guy who just has all. So the it, it's just like it's gonna be absurd. Like it's gonna be an absurd draft, and uh, I'm just really excited about. Because like you, it, you don't. Not often you get a defensive line class like this where it's not just top heavy, but it's also like deep. You know, like the like the best guy is might be like an all time Hall of Famer, and yeah. then like the fourth best guy is probably a Pro Bowler. You know, like it, it's just it's good and deep. Yeah, and this is one of those things. This is one of those situations. Like, just listen every week. Every week when I call out a couple of college football games, you'll notice there's an edge rusher or a defensive end or a defensive tackle. In every big game. It's, it's because it's just loaded this year. And it's kind of the position we need. Deion Jordan hasn't really stepped up the way we would have liked. He's 22 snaps in the last game and only got one pressure. Uh, and so it, it's still kind of a position we, it's still Clark we need and to, dudes. We need to address. I mean, I don't think Green took offensive snap in this game, or defensive snap in this game, correct? He is out this week yeah. so far, too. Yep. So, so I mean, he's he's not coming along the way we'd have liked. And Plus, you want a rotation up. anyway. You want three or four guys at the end, especially when you have some rookie contracts working in there. So, yeah, I completely agree. Is either, and you're not going to take an offensive guard in the top 20. Not unless there's an elite talent out there at guard, which I don't think there is for this particular draft. So you're probably looking at somewhere between rounds two and four. We're going to pick up a guard, probably a corner as well. So I think you're absolutely right. Something on the defensive line, especially something at defensive end, makes the most sense. All right, let's let's move on to the team that we're going to try to pick on this week. In the team that plays London, on the cricket London, field. England. Uh, they don't no longer playing on a baseball field, Kevin. They are playing in a soccer stadium. So, the the Oakland Raiders I still can't get it right. That's head, the point. Head to England uh, to to host the Seattle Seahawks. Let me talk about a little bit about the uh, the Oakland Raiders. They're three best players so far this year, according to uh, Pro Football Focus Journey. Uh, center Roddy Hudson, tight end Jared Cook, and our old boy Marshawn Lynch. Derek Carr also up there. They've they've had some very good offensive play behind Derek Carr and Jordy Nelson, but this defense. Oh, boy, this defense. Uh, my favorite quote about this defense. You ready? 
I don't know where to find pass rushers. I, we just can't seem to get any pass rush. Yeah, it takes uh, a really big idiot to like trade away a pass rusher in the modern NFL. When uh, did, did, did Oakland have a really good pass rusher? I must, I'm forgetting. Did, I don't know. I'm, I can't see him had, over that $10 million statue they built in the middle of the stadium. Was, was there a was there a guy on their team that, that, that was a good pass rusher last year? You cannot pay Khalil Mack when you're paying <laughs> your head Carr. coach. Ten million dollars oh, a year over Carr. ten years. Maybe no, they, Derek they, Carr's getting a lot of money. John Gruden's getting a lot of maybe money. Maybe they thought Khalil Harding, Mack got nothing. You know, Key, why Kevin? have the number one defensive end when you can have the number seventeen quarterback? I'll say this: seventeen I mean, is kind. They nailed they nailed the Maurice Hurst pick. He's pretty good. Um, they did. I mean, way to be the team that was willing to pull the trigger on the guy who has a heart condition. Yeah, I mean that was a good pick. Uh, Arden Key, not. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> and not so surprising. Eleven pressures, like eleven pressures, no sacks yet. Uh he's dropped into coverage a couple times and gotten given up two receptions. Yeah, I wouldn't drop him into coverage ever. Uh Tank Carradine has zero pressures on the air, Kevin, in like twenty four snaps. Bruce Irvin, ten but pressures. I like the player, Mike. Uh Miguel or Markel Markel Lee, they blitzed him uh they pass rushed him a few times, never got a pressure. They they just can't get pressure. This team cannot get pressure. Yep. And, uh, well, that's going to be good for the Seahawks because we're going to be able to pass block. Russell Wilson will have all day to make decisions. Um, I don't see this as being an exceptionally difficult matchup for this. Well, you know, here's the thing, though. Jordy Nelson's probably going to get, like, 200 yards receiving because he's going to run drag routes across the middle and get 20 yards after every catch. But I, um, you well, can't maybe uh, Tedrick Thompson will murder him. Uh, probably, actually, yeah. Uh, pray for Jordy. Hashtag pray for Jordy. That's the Seahawks' <laughs> nest hashtag of the week. Hashtag pray for Jordy. As a person who has Amari Cooper on his fantasy team, I saw a great tweet this week where it said, Amari Cooper has fallen victim to Spider-2. Why banana? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he hasn't done anything this year. Is, no. is Amari, we, Every other game, he has a plus game. We're two years... No, he's definitely the banana in the Spider-2. Yes. We're two years removed from like thinking that he's legitimately like the best young receiver in the game. Yep. And I don't think anyone would even imagine making that claim. I wonder if he He's going to uh, sign somewhere else after his rookie deals up and be like, awesome. do something. I could very well see that. I would love to throw like twenty four million guaranteed at at Amari Cooper. To I would try love to... to throw him a Golden Tate contract and yeah. see what he does. Just be like, hey man, uh, here's three years, thirty three with twenty four million guaranteed, and come a quarterback like, that can drop a ball on. Come, come be a Seahawk, you know? Like he'll be on. He'll be so good. Uh, I just think that this this coaching staff sucks for. Uh, this coaching staff that, is not part of the modern NFL, the, but to make it work out really well, they went ahead and signed a bunch of NFL players that are too old for the modern NFL. The, they have like a really sketchy offensive line and only... Uh, but they have a great offensive line. Oh, wait, no, that guy's sketchy too. And then they, they can't pass rush. I don't know, there's nothing Oakland does that really excites me. Um, I'm going to... Let's get to picks. I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win 35-14. to 14. I don't think this game is particularly close. I do think this is kind of a, a dam-breaking kind of game for the Seahawks where everything goes right and they look super great. They always do good when it's like these pseudo-primetime situations, whether it's a Thursday night game, a Monday night game, a game in England where they get more eyes. Um, well, I think the Seahawks good. really, really crush it in this game. Eric? 34-16, Seahawks. All right, and Kevin, hit us with the pick. So I think this is going to be one of those games where the offense maybe takes a minute to heat up, but then kind of pours on the steam in the second half. The defense might get taken advantage of early, but I think we're going to shut down the run game in the second half. So this is going to be one of those ones where like it goes into halftime, and you're like, oh, we're letting them hang around. It's, so it's like a typical Seahawks game. This Ke- is gross. Kevin, through, through four games, I got to ask you this because I know you hated this guy in the draft process. What do you think Colton Miller's pro football focus pass block rating is? His pass blocking rating? Probably not terrible, like 60. Yeah, it's a 60, 69, which I was like, I was like, nice. what? I was like, what? <laughs> but his, but he has a, a 24.2 rating somehow on uh, on pass plays. I don't know what that means exactly. because he's uh, a- Lots of penalties. Oh, it is. He has four penalties. Nice call, dude. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. He's 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 going to be overwhelmed the first like then two Donald years. Donald Penn is not good anymore. No, I don't know. Don't, that guy fell off a cliff. I don't know what happened. Like they just didn't give him a new contract, and he was like, "Well, then I guess I suck now." Yep, I don't like to try anymore. So I have uh, Seattle. So yeah, it's gonna be like I don't know, like yeah, like fourteen ten at half, and you'd be like, "I thought we were gonna pull away," and then we're gonna end up winning like thirty three seventeen. Yeah, and I hope Marshawn Lynch cracks off one good run and then and then just decides not to play the rest of the game. That's my <laughs> sincerest hope for that. Um, okay, uh, Kevin, 
Tell me two college games I should watch this week. All right. So I'll, then I'll tell you my one my one college game that I'm going to watch. So I have one for funsies, and that's on Thursday night. Texas Tech is playing TCU. And uh, on Friday night, South Florida is playing Tulsa. South Tulsa's not very good. South Florida and Tulsa should be super pointy. Like, these should just be really fun to watch on Thursday and Friday if you have nothing to do. So the three good games this weekend are Georgia at LSU. Yeah. And about Washington that. at Oregon. Yeah. Both of those are at 1230. And then, at, so you can like you know just put on last channel and hit that button back and forth, so that you can watch each of them, and then just like pay attention to the one that's closer. And then Wisconsin is playing at Michigan at four thirty. Yep. And these should all be really interesting games. So Georgia players to watch: wide receiver Demetrius Robertson. They have a linebacker named DeAndre Walker. They have one of the best corners in the nation, DeAndre Baker who's going to be like a top 10 pick, maybe top 15. And kicker Rodrigo Blankenship, who looks like a big dork, and I like him. Uh, LSU has an offensive lineman, Garrett Brumfield. Their linebacker, Devin White, is really talented, and Greedy Williams is probably the best corner in college football right now. Greedy Williams is the best college corner in football. Yeah, and he has everything you want. He's like a prototypical NFL corner, too. So Washington has Jake Browning, whose stock is falling for obvious reasons because he's limited. Uh, Miles Gaskin, who I think is a massively underrated running back. Uh, Caleb McGarry, who's one of the better right tackles to be coming out in the draft. Greg Gaines at defensive tackle, who's a big run stuffer. Jordan Miller and Taylor Rapp and JoJo McIntosh headline the most likely draftable players out of a Washington secondary that's just elite. Oregon's quarterback, Justin Herbert, is the top NFL prospect at quarterback. But I have a hot... You ready for this? Yep. Um, so, you know, the I listen to the Ringer NFL podcast, and the, but not, not GM Street, the other ones. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, only one. I literally put... I, I delete that one and download all okay, the other ones. But anyway, the, the Maze has a hot take that there's like a height limit. Once you hit over 6'4", uh, you maybe aren't shouldn't be a good NFL quarterback, and if you Maybe think about it, stop talking. And you think about it though, and you're like, what is not Peyton Manning six five? What are the good six foot six quarterbacks? I mean, the the guys that are like six 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 seven all suck. Derek like, Anderson, Bro- Brock Osweiler, <laughs> Derek Anderson sucks. Uh, so the, the he's dude, the last person to lead the Browns to the playoffs. Dude, Justin Herbert is so tall. Yeah, Justin Herbert's six six in the half or something like that. Yeah, he's six six in the media guide, which means he's probably actually like six seven now. Actually, or six four, one or the other. Mm, it's the other <laughs> way. When you look at him, he looks really tall. Yeah, he is definitely his own tallest offensive lineman. Uh, and then they have a a, a rush and Jalen Jelks, who's part of this again really deep rush class. And then uh, for Wisconsin at Michigan, Wisconsin has a sophomore running back who's not going to be coming out this year, but you should watch him because he's super fun. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. They have a buttload of offensive linemen uh david edwards michael dieter and Bo. i think it's ben schwazel i think is how you say that and then they have uh they have a trio of linebackers alex van griegel who might not play ryan Connolly, and tj edwards and then safety dakota dixon and dakota dixon is more athletic than you expect from a wisconsin safety he's a really interesting player that i like a lot michigan has uh karan higdon at running back they have Chase Winovich, who's another talented end. Rashawn Gary, who's one of the most talented defensive tackles coming into the draft. Um, really big time, like three technique type guy. Took over uh, Mo, uh, Mo Hurst's place in the defense. And then they have linebacker Devin Bush, quarterback Lavert Hill. And they have a kicker, Quinn Nordeen. We don't need we don't need a kicker. We got Papa, Papa Chugs. Uh, Papa, he might retire. Beer bongs and bong rips, baby. Let's go. Uh, so um, Colorado, this is my game. Colorado, who's yeah, undefeated Colorado. and has actually played like a super decent schedule. Like they have, no, they haven't. They played they, nothing. Come on, they played Nebraska. Nebraska, at Nebraska. sucks. They've played UCLA and ASU, UCLA who are both sucks. Who ASU's are both okay. uh, mad decent. No, UCLA's terrible. UCLA's terrible. Uh, ASU was the only. I mostly just wanted Nebraska to, sucks. I mostly lot. wanted to drag trip Chip Kelly right there, and then but. Uh, but they, I think that the USC is a seven-point favorite, but this game should be really fun. I uh, think that's an interesting one because Colorado could sneak up and take one. I like Steven Montez. That's my hot take. My Stevie. Really hot. He goes by Stevie. Yeah, okay. That makes me so happy. Uh, He's an adult, <laughs> and he does that. Mm, okay. Uh, I think this is a Mitch Mitchell situation, and I'm just going to stay away. So, so let's, uh, let's roll into the money zone. Go, uh, Stevie Montez. It's like, it's like uh, he's bounding down, man. Okay. That's it. Uh, so, <laughs> Eric's going to talk in that voice for, like, at least half of the rest of the podcast. I don't, and I I don't po- even know who any of these <laughs> motherfuckers even are. It's, uh, what is, um, do you, do you, I th- these like motherfuckers, it, Stevie, I our feel- fellow teachers and from a church group. 
I think that your impression of Stevie <laughs> is way too close to your impression of Scott. <laughs> tomato, tomato. I'm not, I'm not high all the time, guys. Okay, uh, let's get let's get the people who know what we're talking about are like dying laughing right now, and then everyone else is like, get on with the, it. The best thing we'll just say, he is a lawyer friend. Uh, okay, let's get into it. If you want to support the CXNS podcast, you can be like our new patron. Our new patron, whose name escaped me right now, his name is Richard. Oh no, Chuckatilla. Whoa, Chuck, that's very different. From Chuck Chuckatilla. Richard is our other new one. We have oh, Richard. Okay. We have two. Okay. He's our second newest patron. <laughs> uh, so you can be like Richard. You can be like Chuckatilla. You can join the Legion of fans who head over to our patron. They listen to our fifteen-minute uh, picks podcast every week. They get our NFL picks, which are right now pretty medium. Uh, but last year we were really good, so maybe maybe we'll pick it back up. I have no idea. Uh, We're well above 500. If you want to join them for as little as $1.24 a month, you can support the CSNS podcast. So thank you to Forrest, Richard, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Chuckatilla, Karen, Brett, Mike, David, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, and Michelle. You guys are helping us more than you'll ever know. Also, Nick, uh, and Augustine, Josh, Michael. Uh, there's, there's like a lot of patrons. I'm not going to read them all anymore. Okay. So... You guys are all awesome, though. Every patron is uh, has a special place in my heart and on my uh, my mantle. I put a picture of you. I didn't really do that. That's a lie. Okay, and then if you don't have any money and you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, you can head over to facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest. It's twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest. Go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you find your podcast. Give us a five-star review. It helps us get more exposure. It helps more people find the podcast. Uh, right now, we have hit 44 ratings. Uh, one more new iTunes review. So thank you to everyone who's done that and who's still listening, even though this team is pretty medium right right now very medium <laughs> it's a it's a nice medium there's rare. some sure pink on that burger yeah we are the boring bed in the three bears story all right <laughs> oh geez what the fuck it's not, <laughs> not too hard not too soft kind of boring though but boring i don't think that was the way this what story did you read i i felt like the medium stuff was the good stuff in that story that was that was definitely Wait, how that works so were the good stuff I don't know, man. Think about a really hot stew. It's really good. Sometimes a, a gelato or what do they call it? The cold soup. What about like a what about like a nice medium bowl of room temperature porridge? Yeah, <laughs> porridge. Gross. It's like minestrone. Get out of here. I want to see Eric's illustrative. Ladies Wait, and gentlemen, Eric, if we get to the two hundred dollar <laughs> level on Patreon, Eric will I illustrate do, the I do three have to say, bears. Though, we are it. we are nearing in on the one hundred dollar level. When we hit the one hundred dollar level, uh, we'll go to twitch.tv. And we'll head, head off a, uh, a Patreon-exclusive uh, kind of tri- Seahawks Nest slash Seahawks trivia contest where I'll ask you some questions about both the show and uh, the Seahawks. And the winners will get fantastic prizes, including prizes, prizes, a, Percy Har- a Percy Harvin jersey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a current Seahawks jersey. <laughs> Brett's customized Matt Hasselbeck jersey. <laughs> Dude, that, that's, that's kind of an inside joke, too, because I remember when I bought that Percy Harvin jersey and had to return it because yes. they traded Percy or Percy Harvin yes. got injured or whatever right at, right when I bought the jersey. And I was like, well, this is a pointless item. Okay. Um, Turns out, thought the same thing about Percy Harvin, but in the yeah, Percy Harvin. pointless item. Okay, let's ne- let's never bring that up again. All right, um, <laughs> you so done did it to yourself. The uh, the movies uh, movie. Oh wait, Zone. I was talking about something though. Oh, never mind. Twitch whatever. videos. Let We're gonna go. do great stuff. <laughs> Let it go. Uh, all right, movies. Uh, this week, the movie Bad Times at the El Royale comes out. And, with a uh, big time cast. It has a big cast. It has and the writer and director has done some stuff. So the writer and director, Drew is, Goddard. Drew Goddard is mostly. I think most of his fame stems from Cabin in the Woods. It's like the, the by far the most popular movie of his. Kevin, but we're not going to talk about that because enough people talk about that. Yeah, and then no one needs to talk about. He that wrote anymore. The Martian, which I think is like a fantastic astronaut. But it's also uh, it's also the Golden Globe for best comedy because it's so funny. So we're going to talk about his <laughs> his first film writing credit. So this is his first non-television uh, writing credit, which is for Cloverfield. He wrote Cloverfield, the JJ uh, Matt Reeves directed, JJ Abrams produced Bound Footage Monster movie. Uh, which has uh, Lizzie Kaplan, T.J. Miller, and Michael Stahl David. Uh, so, okay, Cloverfield. Uh, by the way, this is our I, first podcast of the month of October. We are marking it with a like monster slash monster scary slash scary movie because because it's October and we like fun stuff. And if you okay. don't like that, that's on you. I'm I'm gonna start off. Okay, Cloverfield. 
I was super into this movie before it even came out. Uh, I did the like ARG stuff where you could like reveal things about the like world and find like the slusho stuff. Like I was like deep in the internet trying to find out more about this movie before it came out. I saw it the first day it came out with my sister. My sister goes to the movie with me and then about two thirds of the way through the movie leaves the theater because she says she can't stand the shaky cam anymore. Uh, she said she felt like she's going to throw up. So I'm watching the movie by myself, but I loved this movie from the first time I saw it and like kind of everything about it. Um, I love that. So monster movies are all about the reveal. Okay, so monster movies are all about the reveal. It's the tension where you don't fully see the monster and you don't get to see the monster. And um, what I liked about this is instead of spinning it so that like you're not seeing the monster for any reason, like I always feel like they're hiding the monster for no reason. Like the characters all got to see the monster, but I didn't. And in this movie, I felt like it was different. Like they because they put a very human story into this movie where like they're just trying to escape and they're trying to move around and they're trying to they don't actually face come face to face with the monster like we like we do in other movies and so i i kind of like that they they found a, a good way to approach that problem and then when they do show the monster at the end i mean it's pretty sweet <laughs> like i don't know yeah the payoff is good stuff. yeah the payoff's still really good and i i don't know i think this movie's really entertaining i think the human story is really interesting um it was another found footage movie which was a genre that probably went too far at some point but i liked the movie i thought it was really good and yes all the times that the guy runs with the camera uh and it gets super shaky are very annoying i will uh, agree with that criticism of this movie eric what do you think of cloverfield uh i'll say this use of the found footage genre i feel like this put it, it put attack in it like with this there were there was really no reason to do any more i felt like this was in some ways the I don't know, Kevin. We talk about Troll Hunter. You call it the pit, the apex. Yeah, it's it's the apex. It's it's the most mainstream that uh, was is still a good movie. I'm, Troll Hunter is amazing, it, but it's but obscure. That's not a mainstream movie, even though it did make it on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. it absolutely. If you and like I found footage. It does something unique. And I will I will go to the grave saying that the Blair Witch Project is just awful. It's terrible. I don't get it, and I can explain to you why you don't get it either. It's terrible. Uh, but I felt like this movie, it's its a true monster movie. It's a giant monster. Um, they kind of, they treat it with a with an air of reality, which I really appreciate. It's like, like Nathan said, it's, uh, you know, a group of young people trying to just survive this giant monster attack. I don't know. There's a lot to like about it. I will say that um, the movie did not get any better after the first time you see it. Because the first time is so good. And then after that, it's good. It's just nothing beats that first time. Yeah, and that's really common amongst monster movies because of the way that they set themselves up. Now, I will say I was the exact opposite of Nathan when it comes to the build for this movie. I, like Eric, did not like Blair Witch. Did not find it appealing. And, and then there was a very Blair Witch uh, marketing campaign where they did not give you any information about the movie. Like, people had no idea what this movie was even about until it released. Yep. They didn't let people review it. All the viral elements that I was talking about that I was into were focused on, like, this drink called Slusho and this fake company called Tagruato. And, like, they were, like, trying to make you figure out, like, things about Slusho and things about Tagruato. And, like... They were like marginally connected to the movie, but um, oh, it's more like a they, cinematic universe. They gave all them characters MySpace pages that you could look at and click through their pictures and stuff. Um, they there was a thing where you'd call this number and then play like recorded messages for you, but they were for the company uh, for Tegarato. And I don't know, man, it was like it was like. And there was like little hints, you know, like there was sonar images or like some of the puzzles would have like Lovecraftian elements. And you're like, okay, I, I kind of think this is going to be like a, like a Cthulhu or a monster thing. And, and so there was hints, but it was like very, you know, cloak and dagger. They yeah. really did not want you to know what the movie was about. So that in bothered, addition that to you. not like, no, yeah. not exactly. It, it, the problem was in addition to not liking Blair Witch. At that point, I had yet to see a found footage movie that I liked at all. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically, I had written off the genre. So here you have a movie where it's like, okay, they're doing the viral marketing campaign. That's cool, but I've never seen a payoff. It's a found footage movie immediately on my off list. And at that point in time, I was so discouraged with the horror genre and where it had gone that I was just out. I was like, nope. 
not even going to give it a try. Not going to give it the time of the day. You're not going to get me again. Nope. Sorry, Satan. Not today. And then all of a sudden, all these people whose opinions on movies I really respect were like, have you seen this movie? It's really good. Have you seen it? I'm sitting there like, you got to be freaking kidding me. This movie was good. This this Cloverfield. You mean Clover, the, the found footage movie? The mock yeah, like really literally, that literally movie? the only thing I know about this movie it's found footage <laughs> right it's like, literally the one thing I know about this movie is that it is the thing I le- like least in movies right now and then I saw it and if you were to remove the monster it would probably be the best disaster movie in the last twenty years yeah yes like that's the beauty of it I like Nathan said the personal angles of the movie you get so invested in the character in the characters that when something happens you're like yeah i can totally get why they're risking their life to go back for this person uh i've known them since elementary school yeah i this totally sucks that that character died they seem like they were really holding the group of friends together yeah this is really awful this is happening because this character was about to start this new adventure in their life and now it's never gonna happen and so they were able to build so much suspense without the monster that when they put the monster in, it was just like over the top. And the characters constantly had to react to the environmental situation of the monster. I think that's the other thing that you said, Nate, that is really cool about this movie is they're not trying to stop the monster. They're trying to survive the wake of this disaster. All the other ones, it's always focused on who's going to stop the monster or who's the monster specifically after in a really weird way. And I'm fine with that. I've been watching cheesy monster movies my whole life. But it was really cool how the monster was an environmental situation with which these characters had to react and interact with. And it made for a unique watching experience. Even if you only see it once and even if Shaky Cam bothers you, which it does bother me a bit. Watching it once is worthwhile because it does a thing that this type of movie does not normally do. And I appreciate it for that. All right. Um, we are running low on time. So uh, just uh, a couple things I wanted to, to jet in here before we go. Uh, one thing I like about this movie is it's full of Easter eggs. You know, like there's a thing at the end where it sounds like someone's saying one thing, but if you play it backwards, it's saying it's still alive which is kind of cool. Like they just put like little stuff in there for people who are willing to, to put in the time and really like pay attention to the movie and like hunt down the clues there. It's a labor of love. There's stuff there. There's stuff there for the people that want to get really into it. And I think it's an entertaining enough movie for people who just want to enjoy it, sit down, eat some popcorn, watch a monster movie. Uh, the other, the other thing is that there is a dedicated sequel coming. Um, there is like a Cloverfield universe that they've built out now with a uh, 10 Cloverfield lane, which is good. And Cloverfield paradox, which was, eh. and, uh, that's kind of cool. I'm excited to see what that what that entails. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts on Cloverfield before I ask you one final question? No, I think I gave all my thoughts. I like the universe they're building. Okay. Uh, guys, found footage as a format. We've talked about it a lot in this. We brought up some other stuff. Are there any found footage or even movies that are partially found footage that you guys would recommend to others uh, to watch? I have two that I thought of. Um, Kevin, you said Trollhunter already, so you can just expand on that. Yeah, I'll just expand on that. So Trollhunter is a foreign language film. Uh, the subtitling is really well done. It is a movie that moves in so many unexpected ways. It is very low budget feeling. It is very charming. If you remember, we talked about Hunt for the Wilder People and how the thing that was unique and interesting about that movie is it had a lot of heart. I feel the same way about this. It has almost like that kind of gremlinsy, like cheesiness in a way that is endearing and enjoyable. Except in no point does it really go over the top with it. It just, the movie shows and doesn't tell. It pulls you into its world and it does so in a way that utilizes the found footage to make you feel like you're on a journey into something unique. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I'm going to go with Wreck, uh, the Spanish movie. Uh, it's a found footage horror movie where they're like, um, there's some. Uh, firefighters intervening in an apartment mm-hmm. building and the building's occupants are like, there's something wrong. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it any more than that. I haven't seen that. Uh, I've, I've seen it on um, like my cue, but I've never actually watched it. It's really good. Uh, it's very entertaining. So, Eric, do you got one? Yeah. Um, it's a series you can get on Netflix still, I believe, like as of like two weeks ago. VHS. 
I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, VHS one. They're uh, what are they? it's oh, not vignettes. I have seen it. They're like they're horror movies. Yeah, they're not. They're not a. They're they're individual stories that are kind of hooked together by a common thread. Um, so you can, if you don't like one of the stories, you can fast forward to the next one. Horror the, anthology. The anthology. Thank the you. The first one is like way too long. That was my biggest problem with it. Yeah, but I also only saw the first one and did not enjoy it incredibly. I will say every one of the VHS movies, though, as a whole film, no, not great. But each one contains at least one story where you're like, you, yes. Kind of like heavy metal where like the the whole is like weaker than the in, some of then, the individual than parts. Than like one or two of the parts, it's yes. It's just common for anthologies. I mean, we all watch the Tales from the Crypt stuff. Like the, there's going to be show. a stinker. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's Creep Show. Let me bring up one more movie that I thought used uh, found footage really well, even though it wasn't there the whole time. End of Watch, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena. Uh, it's a really good movie. And it has uh, a lot of the segments are Jake Gyllenhaal filming with a hand camera for some reason. So, yeah, that's a cool movie. Uh, I highly recommend it. All right. For Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber, we will see you next week. Go Hawks. That was, a, that was actually Scott. Good time, bro.